0: We have been going through the earthly life and ministry of Jesus the Messiah. And for the last several messages, we've taken a look at one single day and evening in the Lord, and that is not over yet. We're still going to be, for the next several weeks, discussing that last day uh, before his arrest. But for the next couple of messages, three. We're going to be talking about Jesus's prayers. Now, during Jesus's earthly ministry, we see that he oftentimes would go off by himself and pray on his own in some secluded and lonely place. His disciples came to him and asked him, saying, well, John taught his disciples to pray Teach us to pray, and then Jesus taught them the prayer that we uh, labeled the Lord's prayer, even if put music to it. Um, and you know, I think it's better called the Disciples' prayer, but lost that battle centuries ago. So uh, it's the Lord's prayer, and there's much to be learned from looking at that simple prayer: how to pray. But Jesus is going to be praying himself, and I think there's a lot to to learn by it. But before we get to it, I have to get on my soapbox. Now, I know many of you don't mean this in 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 a bad way. It's just you're used to other people saying it and whatever. And so you'll hear about the power of prayer. And everybody will talk about the power of prayer. So I want to use an example. I usually don't bring my cell phone because my, my knowledge is that if you're calling me on a Sunday morning during this time, you don't know me. Because I ain't answering the phone because I'm busy worshiping God. So I don't bother bringing the phone. If there's an emergency, I guess I'm going to have to get to it later. And fortunately, most of my family's here already, so it's, it's not them. But, so here's my cell phone. With my cell phone, I can call and get a meal. I can even call and have that meal delivered. Isn't my cell phone wonderful? I can call for uh, my anniversary or for Valentine's or for a birthday, and I can call and get flowers delivered. Isn't my cell phone wonderful? Wonderful. And in my cell phone, if I have car trouble, I can call and get emergency roadside service because I have my cell phone. Isn't my cell phone wonderful? That's like saying the power of prayer. You see, my cell phone is a device for communication. My cell phone didn't bring me that excellent dinner. The restaurant did the cell phone didn't make my flower arrangements for my loved ones. The florist did. And the guy who came and started my car didn't come from the cell phone. It was a means of communication. So when we say about the power of prayer, what we are doing is diminishing God's glory. And no one especially people who are called by his name, should diminish his glory. So it is not the power of prayer. Prayer is a means of communication with God. So why are we praising the communication rather than the one who picks up the line? Which brings me to my second box. There is a doctrine out there that says, if you speak something, it will happen. That I have the power to speak it, and it will happen. Well, guess what? You and I aren't God. Jesus is the one who speaks and creates things, not you and me. And you should praise God that we're not God. Because if we were, we would be just like the mythological gods of the Greeks and the Romans who are arbitrary and capricious. And I don't know if the church picked this up or the world picked this up. But the other thing is is out there is if you speak it into the universe, it will happen. Well, let me tell you a little secret. Mars can't hear you. The Pleiades constellation can't hear you. A part of the universe, the Milky Way, can't hear you, let alone the universe. And I'll tell you why they can't hear you is for two reasons. You are really, really small and insignificant in this universe. And the universe is too busy praising God to hear you. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. So while they're declaring the glory of God, they don't have time to listening to what you have to say, even if they could hear you. So where this idea comes that if you speak something, basically comes from we still haven't given up the idea that we're God. We still have the same problem that Satan tempted us with in the garden. If you do this, you'll be like him. So now I get off my soapbox. And so, kind of fair warning, if during prayer meeting we, you talk about the power of prayer, I'm going to get out my cell phone, okay? So consider yourself being chastised by that. So, if that's not what prayer is, prayer is a form, of mechanism of communication, which, by the way, Prayer is a form of communication, which means we just don't tell God what we want. We listen back. Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer. And I know that a lot of time in prayer kind of scares us. How do I know it? Because all you have to do is sign up for like a one-hour prayer time during a 24-hour period of prayer. And most people say, I don't know what to say for an hour. Well, part of that is because you run out of things to tell God what to do, so I understand that. There are times when I'm with my wife that we will talk a lot, and there are times that we won't say anything because we're at peace, and it's just good to be in each other's presence. So you don't always have to say something but I don't have to come up with things to say to my wife because we are together. We share some of the same experiences. She may have a different viewpoint than I have on the very same thing that happened, but we have things. And a lot of times people don't know what to talk to God about because they're just not that close to him. So using my cell phone as... Thing. If you're having problems this year spending too much time on the phone, I ask you to spend one week because I know you probably won't do it for a week. But for every minute you spend on your cell phone, spend a minute in prayer with God. I bet you would less, use less time on the cell phone because you're not too sure what you're going to say to God. But I know the world is, is worried about how do we get disconnected from the cell phone? Then get connected to God. Okay, now I'll get, off I'll get off my soapbox. John chapter 17. Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He knows that his time here on earth is coming close to an end. And so he does what any person who cares about those he's with does. He prays. And so in John chapter 17, it starts out this way. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said. So lifting up his eyes to heaven is a clue that he's talking to God, not talking to his disciples. And so he's, they're going to tell us what he says. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Now I want you to notice something. This is the Son of God. God, speaking to the Father, God, about something the Son of God wants. Now notice he says, glorify your Son. He's asking the Father to do something for him. As he is on this earth, he has submitted himself to. To the authority of God. And even in this time, he could simply say, hey, God, I'm God. I'm going to be glorified. But even Jesus doesn't command God what to do. He asked God to glorify him. Why? Why? so that the Son may glorify the Father. The purpose of Jesus being glorified is so that God may get glory. Notice the interaction here. It isn't make me special, God, but glorify me so that you may be glorified. Even as you have gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him He may give eternal life. He says, the Father gave me authority over everyone. But particularly, he's given me the right to those who have been given eternal life. And then he tells what eternal life is. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The only way to go to know God the Father is to know God the Son. God the Son explains God the Father. You cannot have God without Jesus. So those people who say, well, all religions are the same, are flat wrong. Because the communication that Jesus has communicated to us is, I and the Father are one. And if any religion doesn't express that Jesus is the son of God God, then they don't know the father I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work which you gave have given me to do Jesus my time here is is rapidly drawing to a close but during this three and a half years that I've been on the earth I have glorified you. I have done what you've told me to do. I have taught how you've told me to teach. I have kept those that you've told me to keep. And in that ministry, it is not to bring attention to me, but attention to the Father. I have glorified you on the earth. So, I can save you uh, 19 at the bookstore. You want to know what your purpose in life is? Glorify God, I just saved you in 1995, plus a whole lot of reading. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Notice Jesus is saying, I want you to glorify me. I want you to glorify you. For the glory I want you to give me is the very same glory I started out with when I was with you before I came to the earth. And again, notice that Jesus isn't demanding anything. He's asking the Father. And if Jesus, the Son of God, God, is asking the Father God something, what makes you think you're entitled to demand anything? Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you, have, you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Interesting. We have this impression that Jesus picked them as he was picking the 12 disciples. Jesus said, no. Before the foundation of the world, God chose some people, and he chose these guys which gives you great hope. Because quite frankly, if you and I were choosing guys, these wouldn't be the guys we would choose. Which means it's okay when God chooses you because nobody else would either. So okay. So there is that comfort there, but there is that knowledge that Jesus has simply kept that which the Father has given him. You see, God the Father loves you. You're God the Father's but not all of you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understand and understood that I came forth from you. And they believe that you sent me. Now, last time we took a look and Jesus told them plainly and they said, now we believe that you were sent by the Father. And Jesus says, now you believe. And Jesus is taking that belief and saying, God, they finally got it. You gave them to me. I've kept them. I taught them how you told me to teach them, and they've come to faith. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So, We'll hear the expression, and it's kind of semi-right in the sense of we're all God's children. We're all created by God. We have all been given the image of the creator. But not everybody is a child of God. Only those who believe in the Son are children of God. And he says, those are the ones I'm praying for now. Not praying for the rest. I'm praying for those who are yours that you gave me. Again, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but those who you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. So Jesus is saying, not only frequently in the sense of I and the Father are one. Everything the Father has is Jesus's, and everything that Jesus has is the Father's. That's why when you can't get it out of Jesus, end, because the Father's got you wrapped up too. You're both God, the Father's, and God's Son. But during this period of time, what Jesus is doing, Jesus has transferred, if you will, this prayer that Jesus is going through. I've broken down into three parts. We're talking about two parts Today, the third, next week. First, Jesus talks about that the Father would glorify him since he has been glorifying the Father with the glory he had. And now he is, if you will, interceding for his disciples. He's praying for them. It's intercessory prayer. Which is, again, something that we should do. It's not just about praying for our needs, praying for what we want, but interceding for others. And one of the ways that I communicate that is the best way to pray for someone who's going through something is to pray as if you were going through that. Mortimer is going, and I use Mortimer because nobody's named Mortimer here. Mortimer is going through a cancer diagnosis. Well, how would you feel? How would you empathize? If someone told you you were going through cancer, and I know some of you have been diagnosed with that, you'd pray pretty hard. You'd pray pretty consistently. You'd pray pretty persistent and consistent and with passion. Maybe we ought to pray for others that very same way. But Jesus is praying for those men whom the Father gave to him and who he's kept. Because he says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus is praying for them. He says, and he'll continue to say, they're mine, they're yours. I've protected them, I've kept them, but I'm leaving. Now notice that Jesus has already told them that the Holy Spirit is coming to be a helper for them and that it is beneficial for him to leave and for the Holy Spirit to come. And yet Jesus is saying, not only should the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God come, but I want the Father to come and protect them. Two out of three ain't bad. And then he says that to keep them in your name, Father, so that they may be one as we are one. Now, I'm going to deal with this much more next week. But the sad thing is, if you read the commentaries on this and the other part next week we'll talk about, they miss it by a mile. And I'm not that brilliant. I'll just give you a little hint. Jesus is not praying for unity. So I'll let you, hopefully you come next week and hear. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus He's saying, my job when I've been there, Rabbi, has been to teach and to glorify you and to keep them protected. I'm going to be God, so Father, I want you to protect them. And if the Father is protecting you, you're protected. And the only one that he lost is the son of perdition which the scripture foretold concerning. And I have much more to say about that next week as well. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus has been telling Jesus has been praying to God about his people, how he's protected them, and how God is theirs. And yet, he tells them that these things he's done so that they may have his joy made full in them. I've said this before, I'll say it again until... It no longer needs to be said. Jesus is praying because he's leaving the world. To go to the father which is joyful. But the mechanism by which he must go to the father. Is going to be exceptionally painful. But he has joy. Because he's doing what the father. Has called him to do despising the pain, but for the joy that was set before him. Why is it that we Christians are always so tied to circumstance? You win the lottery, everything's wonderful. You can't figure out how to pay the water bill, everything's terrible. You got... 1,250 likes on Facebook. Oh, I'm really popular. One person just unfriended you. Oh, Life is terrible. Jesus isn't talking about happenings. He's talking about joy. Happenings can take a smile and, and turn it upside down. Joy cannot be taken from you. Doesn't depend on happenings. But he's not saying just a little joy. That their joy they may be made full in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. One of the things that we have difficulty with. Because we believe that the scriptures are the word of God that when we try to talk to the world about the scriptures, they don't want to have anything to do with it. It's just a bunch of old writings. How can it be accurate because it's so old and, and we don't have any of the originals and blah, 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 blah. And they just tune us out. They say proving God by God is just a circular argument. Now they believe you can speak out in the universe and it hears you, but they don't believe there's a God. We need to understand the world is not your friend. What point is it to be king of all the alligators? Because they're going to eat you anyway. They don't care you're a king. So what makes you think by being powerful in this world makes you any more liked? If you're Lord, it's the Lord of the Lord and King of kings. They just don't tolerate you. They hate you. And they recognize that you are not in the world because they are of the world, just as Jesus is. So he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus says, the world hates them. God, my prayer request is then that you remove them from the world. Just keep them from Satan. There are a lot of times when circumstances happen, and I wonder why God just doesn't stop it. How come I just don't get out? Everything from rapture to some of David's prayers, God... Just grind the bones of my enemies and let me watch and it'd be awesome. Jesus doesn't pray, solve all their problems, get the world to love them, or even remove the world. He says, just don't let the evil one at them. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Notice Jesus has said that several times and maybe he needs to say it several times because this prayer is being recorded for our purposes and maybe we need to get into our minds. This world is not our home. But he's going to ask God the Father for something in verse 17. Sanctify them in truth. Now that word sanctify means to make Holy. It is the process of making something holy. We tend to think holy as something maybe more necessary. Holy means like perfect, um, without blemish, righteous, and all those things. To sanctify something is that process. Of making it holy. So to use an example I frequently use. For a wedding gift or maybe you go out and buy yourself some really nice china. You know the kind of uh, china and cost that you don't let the kids or grandkids use because they'll break them. And you take them from the store and you wash them and you whatever. And then you put them in the china cabinet. Because you're going to only use it for special occasions. And when special guests come or people you want to impress and you bring out the china for those special occasions, they're sanctified, they're holy because you only use them on certain occasions. So God is saying, Jesus is telling God, make them holy, make them sanctified For a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify you. And how does God do that? By sanctifying them in truth. And then in case we're not quite sure what that means. Your word is truth. These scriptures tell us. That one of the ways that we become clean. Of our sins. In the sense of how we address those things. And how we. Stop acting one way and another is by the washing of the word of God. The word of God sanctifies us. Therefore, it should be our desire to get into word frequently. Now, some of you take a bath or shower every day. Some of you take it on Saturday. And some of you take it whenever it feels like it. Now, for those who take a shower every day, maybe, depends on how good a shower you take, cleaner than the people who do it once or maybe every so often. And in our society, it's hard to tell because we put on deodorant and, and, and perfume to disguise the smell. But I remember being a, uh, a teenager. Well, I was actually than a teenager. And we were on an um, evangelistic trip. And fortunately, this wasn't a guy. It was a girl. And this girl had this real problem with her hygiene. And so, quite frankly, she stank. Okay? And so the, the leader of, of the group told some of the young ladies in the group to, to have a water fight and make sure she was in the middle of it. And they did. I hope we don't have to have a Bible fight with you. Sometimes we may not smell all that holy or unholy, but we need to wash. And a way to be sanctified is the Word of God. Now, I'm saying some of these things because I'm hoping it catches. And so you'll go, oh, yeah, that was kind of stupid, crazy what the pastor said, but I kind of got the point. Because if I say it the other way, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I get it. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. You see, Jesus' ministry will not be over. He has taught and sanctified his disciples so that they may be sent into the world and teach and sanctify them to Jesus. So they have a job to do. Now notice, he says, I've sent them. Well, they haven't yet gone. But when Jesus speaks, it's going to happen. Now this is an interesting statement. For their sake, I sanctify myself. For their sake, I sanctify myself. For their sake, I have taken my ministry and made it holy for God, so that they might understand what it means to be sanctified for God. Jesus is the example. For they think I have sanctified myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So many times you'll hear people say, it doesn't matter what you believe just so long as you believe something sincerely. Jesus would never say that. If it isn't the truth, it's not worth it. And the sad thing in our culture, they want to deny truth. Well, your truth may be not my truth and whatever. And we go through the round of the philosophical arguments. Jesus just speaks plainly. He's truth. He's absolute truth. It's not whether I believe it, not whether you believe it. It's who he is. And so in this prayer for himself, he says, God, glorify me and you. And in this prayer, he basically says, I'm going to send these men that you have given me, who are yours, out into the world to be witnesses of me and you. But I want you to protect them. In a moment, we're going to sing a song that says, Never Once. Because never once has he left us on our own. Jesus has prayed for you. Jesus has promised and delivered the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has prayed that the Father would protect you in his name. And God does not take his name in vain. So again, I want to reemphasize that yes, Jesus loved you. And yes, Jesus, as we're going to see, is going to die for you. And yes, Jesus is going to raise from the dead. But he has sent the Holy Spirit and he has Prayed that the Father would not take us out, but protect us in the world. I think God has, is, and will continue to answer Jesus' prayer. Because we believe that the Father sent him. And we believe that the Father and he are together again. And we believe that one day he will not necessarily take us out. But he will come back. And during that period of time, whether it's 2,000 years or 4,000 years. He never leaves us alone. We are protected by His name. And all God's people said...